My name is Angelica Wind, and I'm the executive director of Our Voice, which is Buncombe County's Rape Crisis and Prevention Center. Since last Thursday, when the hearings with Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh took place in Washington, D.C., the specific hearing, what has it been like at your organization? Thank you for asking. So at Our Voice, what we have experienced since last Thursday and even leading up to uh, the hearings on Thursday was an increase of calls and an increase of of activity um, in terms of uh, individuals accessing our services or wanting to reach out and have conversations to help process of what has uh, happened to to date. Um, And what we've seen is uh, it impacts not only on individuals in the community, but we've also seen its impact on advocates and staff as well. What is a lot of the conversation centered on with the people that have been contacting you since Thursday? Obviously, this is a very triggering experience for people who have been assaulted, but what has really been uh, what has been the focus, I guess, or what has been a lot of the conversations that you've been having with people who have been calling you since Thursday? Yes, a lot of the conversations are centered um, on, on different things, but um, primarily we have had conversations with survivors who themselves have been triggered um, as a result of the national conversation. And um, for some survivors, it has brought up memories of when they themselves had disclosed and were not believed or or the, the system that they disclosed to uh, was attempting to minimize what has happened. And then um, it, it's tough for survivors to process uh, when they're processing by themselves. Um, and yet it's even tougher when someone, uh, a survivor, is able to uh get the words to articulate what has happened to them and put themselves out there in a vulnerable situation by uh, disclosing to a loved one. or And, and then it turned out that uh, the response wasn't the response that the survivor may have needed. So we've had that conversation with survivors who have been triggered. We've had conversations with uh, support systems such as family members who have seen their loved one be triggered and want to be able to gain the, the skills and tools to be able to support a loved one through what is currently happening. Um, What we've also seen is uh, calls from individuals that normally would not have called our voice um, because oftentimes when we talk about sexual violence, the conversation really is uh, primarily around rape. And we tend to be pretty clear about what rape looks like um, and what it doesn't look like. But one of the things that we have seen is, as a result of the conversations that have been happening, is that there has been um, an opening of conversations of really looking at the spectrum of what sexual violence is and what the impact on that spectrum of violence. And so in the past, we have been accustomed to having conversations about rape. And this is a conversation about like sexual assault. Um, there is a notion that sexual violence that isn't rape isn't traumatizing um, or that the impacts are not as severe as uh, rape. And what we do know is that um, it does have the ability to have the same impacts as a 
uh, completed or attempted sexual uh, a rape, rather. And so we have had conversations with survivors who, for the first time, are recognizing that what happened to them um, was a sexual assault, and um, they themselves are processing now, recognizing that what they experienced and what they themselves try to minimize as a normal behavior, that it's just boys being boys or people being people, and that maybe it wasn't so severe now recognize that um, what they experienced was not okay and that it was sexual assault and um, a recognition of uh, of the trauma that they've been carrying as well. So they themselves are kind of uh, processing as though it was something that just recently happened. What is it about this particular story that we saw play out last Thursday and has been playing out in the news for weeks and will continue at least through the end of this week? Um, what is it about this particular incident that is so triggering to people that they have reached out to, to get help? I think, great question. So um, this particular story, just in general, is the way it plays out. Um, when we talk about sexual violence and we get asked about what the uh, biggest barrier around it is, um, people expect us to say it's that. Um, law enforcement maybe not investigating or uh, district attorney not prosecuting. But in reality, the biggest barrier is silence around the, the subject. It's There's still a lot of t- stigma. Um, it's still a taboo subject to talk about. And so there, so sexual violence has had this cloud of secrecy and silence. And nonetheless, what we do know is that statistics have shown us is that the prevalency of sexual violence is is we would say uh, one in five will be impacted by uh, uh, sexual violence in their lifetime. But in actuality, we feel like in terms of what we see in our organization and uh, how we define sexual violence, we would say that one out of three women, if not one out of two women, are impacted by sexual violence sometime in their lifetime. And uh, nationally, the stats tell us that one in six men will be impacted by sexual violence, although we believe probably one in three. Um, and that is also another topic that has a, a really large stigma, sexual violence against men. Um, but having said that, so um, there has been this culture of silence and secrecy around the topic that we don't talk about it. And so what ends up happening is or what we've seen since the Me Too movement is that we have taken some steps to shatter the, the those conversations and the, the silence around, uh, around that particular uh, form of violence. But what that does is that it tends to um, reopen a wound, especially when um the the level of conversations that are happening at a, a nation and especially as we see it on the media we see it you know uh, in social media as well we hear it on the radio and so sometimes survivors don't have the option to in in a national conversation just within our support system so what we see sometimes is that survivors don't necessarily have the po- power to step away from those conversations and um what that tends to do is, again, um, put the survivor at a place where they are, um, in a way, forced to, to, to hear these de- level of details um, when they may not want to. But part of that also leads to uh, the the triggering part of it is that when you hear about someone that is sexually assaulted um, and you're a survivor, you, you, there tends to be a, a risk that you yourself 
can go back to the time of your experience and when when um, that assault had happened. And so what that could do for them is it could induce anxiety, uh, stress, uh, depression, and sometimes even taking them back to that moment um, and rehash all those uh, uh, feelings and sensations that they were experiencing. That's how trigger works in the sense that we have survivors that have experienced healing and have worked on their healing and, and are a good place. But we also know that uh, healing isn't linear and it's cyclical. So some you can have really good years, you can have really good days, you can have really good hours, and there could be something that's happening that is out of your control that takes you back to that one moment and that's what we are seeing with survivors and when we talk about particularly about what's happening with Dr. Ford is that um, Dr. Ford has taken the brave steps to put herself out there in a situation where she will be scrutinized not only by her system but a community but a nation and so when we have conversations at a nationwide level that um, indicate that there's a skepticism in Dr. Ford's story or um, in an essence victim blaming her as to why she didn't step for you know why didn't she come uh, and disclose sooner and then minimizing um, her experience because she didn't uh, disclose sooner um, that can also trigger survivors because that may very well be what they experienced as well when they disclosed I think one thing you said in that answer about how people haven't been able to turn away from this story, whether they have experienced a sexual violence or not. Um, so does someone who's maybe listening to the radio or watching something on television or reading something about this, who is uh, a survivor, what do you say to them right now? Um, is it better for them to turn away from this story or is it better for them to, to consume all the media or some of the media that is around this to help them? What's, what do you say to them? Um, think, well, for survivors, uh, first and foremost, we want to say we believe you. Um, it does not matter if it's something that happened when you were 5, 17, 27, uh, or 67. We, we believe you and that uh, you weren't to blame for what happened and that there are resources available for you, such as Our Voice, um, and if not in Buncombe County, but in your community that can help you uh, process that and offer uh, access to counseling around that particular trauma. Um, but, but more than that is that you have the right uh, to decide uh, in terms of what you want in your life and what it is that you need uh, for your healing. And part of that could be turn off the radio, don't engage in social media, turn off the TV, uh, and uh, walk away from conversations where you feel like this is coming up. Um, but we also want to say the same thing for individuals who may not have directly been impacted by sexual violence, but are what we would call a secondary survivor, which is they have a loved one who has been impacted by sexual violence. And even individuals who aren't secondary survivors, it's okay for you to turn off the TV. It's okay okay to uh, not go on Facebook and engage with folks who may not be the most positive. Uh, you, you, 
you have a right to take care of yourself and you have a right to uh, have autonomy in terms of what happens to you. And so uh, we would recommend that if you feel that you are being triggered or if you feel that as a result of the conversations that you are in a, a state that you that impacts your well-being, that it's okay to unplug. Uh, because a, a lot of what's happening isn't necessarily in our power, uh, per se. There are certain steps that we can do, and yet there's a lot of pieces that are, are not within our power. And the one thing that we do have over our, uh, like power over is what we choose to engage with and what we don't choose to engage with. What can you tell people who are secondary survivors or who have not been touched by this particular um, issue? Though, from the statistics you were citing earlier, that probably seems very few people have not been touched by sexual violence in some way. If you're talking about a secondary survivor, someone who uh, has a loved one who has been impacted by it, but what do you say to someone to the to people to those people? How do they make sure they're not triggering? someone who is a survivor of, of sexual violence during this time through conversations, through probably what we would consider everyday conversations. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do those people ensure they're not triggering someone? One of the things I would suggest just as a, a, a community and as a nation is to really be thoughtful about the conversations that you have um, in terms of what sexual violence is and what it isn't and whether what you would have done, you would have done something different. Uh, the reality is sexual violence impacts all of us in a different way, whether we're a primary survivor or a secondary survivor. Um, and, and you're right, Matt. I would I would agree. I If you... Uh, really think about it, all of us are impacted by sexual violence, whether we have a loved one that we know that has been impacted, but also what it does to a community as a whole. Uh, and so we are all impacted by it. And so as we are out in the community, out having these conversations, really be thoughtful about um, what you are saying and be cautious about um, laying judgment in terms of like what a survivor did right and what a survivor didn't uh, do right. Um, we have this idea that um, somehow survivors or this notion that has been uh, perpetuated for, for some time and continues to do is this uh, focus on the on the survivor and what it is that they did to contribute to their victimization when in actuality the real conversation should be really focused on what sexual violence is, what that looks like, um, and the perpetrator's role in that. And so part of it is just being thoughtful in terms of what it is that we say and be thoughtful about who we're saying that around because in all likelihood the people that you are having these conversations with or around um, either have been impacted by sexual violence uh, directly or indirectly and we want to be mindful about that um, and it's okay to want to process um, what these conversations have done is really um, allowed individuals to whether directly or indirectly impacted is to, to really process what's happening and then thinking back of um, perhaps I've been impacted by it or maybe someone that I loved had been impacted by it. And so we want to allow conversations to take place, but just be very mindful um, and not lay judgment on whether somebody made the right decision or not made the right decision. And also it's okay. To, in fact, we would uh, enthusiastically encourage for you to um, 
ask it. So is it okay if we talk about this? I I, can't, I, I want to process or I want to to understand uh, more about what's currently happening. Is it okay if I talk to you about it? And so I'm basically asking for consent and being respectful when they say, you know, I really would like to process with you, but not today, or I don't ever want to process with you, but I'd recommend someone else to process with you. And it's okay. Um, But more importantly is to ask um, that individual or um, individuals whether um, it's okay to talk about this. In the last two to three years, as the Me Too movement really took hold in the, in this country, this was a topic that prior to that that really stood that was really in the shadows and wasn't discussed. I think nowhere near as openly as it is now. Is that progress that we're able to talk about this publicly now? Uh, I, I guess I don't know what the right way to say this is, but um, the fact that we're having the conversation out loud, I guess, is that a sign that? It, I, I think that the is fact it a that, sign that we move is it a yeah. sign of progress that we have the conversation out loud now? I, I, what we feel in terms of me too, and what has happened in the few past few years is that um, it is a sign of progress because we are talking about sexual violence, and when we're talking beyond, uh, when we say sexual violence beyond. Uh, just rape. Uh, we're talking about sexual harassment. We're talking about sexual assault. We're talking about child maltreatment and uh, the prevalency of, around that. And that, to a certain extent, has been a, a, a bit of progress. But I also want to caution for us not to be fooled, uh, because there is still a lot of work to be done. Um, there is, uh, while we are talking about it, uh, there's still a lot more progress around laws um, in terms of accountability, uh, victim rights. Uh, around that. Um, so we still have a lot of progress to do, as well as um, addressing the issues that uh, allow for sexual violence to occur, such as misogyny, patriarchy, uh, racism, um, xenophobia, all these different systems that allow for a dynamic of power and control to exist. Because when we talk about sexual violence, while the the crime is something that is uh, sexual in nature, it's really a crime of power and control, someone exerting power over someone else. And so while we have seen some progress, we still have a lot more to go in terms of cultural norms and attitudes. To follow up on that, it's just this is a very traumatic thing for a lot of people who have survived it to talk about. So is it better to be able to talk about that trauma publicly or privately? I I guess it's probably case by case, you might say. But the fact that people can express their trauma, I guess, in whichever form they wish to now, is that something that has happened in the past at least two to three years, I would say? Um, Is that something that shows some sign of progress or something that has been better for survivors? Absolutely. So uh, now that survivors are able to, to, uh, well, just even the stats alone, since the Me Too movement um, a year ago, because we're about to sell, you know, it's a one year anniversary since the hashtag Me Too movement started. Um, although Tarana Burke did start it uh, way beyond that. But when the hashtag Me Too movement was elevated or amplified, um, what we saw is that there was a 26% increase of survivors accessing our services. Um, and part, part of that we attribute because the, the silence around the topic has uh, been shattered somewhat. And uh, 
in addition to that is that what we saw as a nation is that when we had survivors disclose, um, instead of having this backlash of, of no, that's not what you experienced, or uh, this person must be lying, there must be an ulterior motive, and the whole focus being on, well, we don't want to ruin the perpetrator's life, despite the fact when someone perpetrates against a survivor, that survivor's uh, life is impacted for the rest of their lives. And while we've seen healing that occurs at, you know, and I, we do believe at Our Voice that healing is possible, and we see that healing can occur up to 90%, 99%, that person will never be whole as they were prior to the sexual violence occurring. And so um, I say all that is because those are the conversations that we are having at the national level in terms of uh, what happened to you was not okay. Um, and we started to foster a community where when survivors did disclose, there wasn't so much of the minimizing part of it. And uh, what that does is it dismantles the shame. And when we dismantle the shame, survivors can uh, be more freely available to admit that this is what happened to me and that now I can reach out for resources because I'm letting go of that shame. Um, and because uh, for the first time, I feel that uh, I am going to be believed uh, and not judged for what happened. And allowing for survivors the process because shame is a good piece of it. Um, survivors are already feeling a certain amount of shame of what happened to them. Survivors are already feeling a lot of guilt because they felt that maybe if I would have done something differently, maybe I wouldn't have been sexually assaulted. Um, guilt in terms of if I say something, maybe I'm going to ruin the perpetrator's life because that's the narrative that's been told. And uh, by the Me Too movement and the conversations that have arisen around it, um, what we see is that more survivors feel um, empowered to say, I'm going to take these brave steps. I'm going to uh, put myself in a vulnerable situation by disclosing what has happened to me, and I'm going to access services for the first time. And all of that has been centered around the the shattering of, of the silence. Um, we think that we continue conversations around the the issue are very important. Uh, sexual violence isn't going to go away. Um, we want to make sure that it stays in the forefront because it does impact each and every one of us. Lastly, what sorts of services can people access through Our Voice? Our Voice has been in uh, Buncombe County since 1974. In fact, we're getting ready to celebrate our 45th anniversary next year, um, where we are pleased to say that we are going to have Torana Burke, now that we mentioned the Me Too movement. We will be having Torana Burke to continue the conversation around Me Too and the um, necessity to keep it at the forefront, because what we don't want to do is there for there to be minimizing of the movement in itself. Um, so. Having said that, our voice is a Buncombe County Stroke Crisis and Prevention Center, and what we are able to do is provide services to survivors ages 13 and up uh, who have been impacted directly and indirectly by sexual violence and human trafficking. All our services are uh, free or low cost. We offer um, our 24-hour crisis line that individuals can access um, at any time, and it is staffed by highly trained advocates and staff as well. 
we offer hospital accompaniment if anyone's been uh, sexually assaulted and present at the hospital or at the Buncombe County Family Justice Center, we are able to provide emotional support and advocacy around that process. We also offer individual and group counseling uh, to survivors uh, in English and Spanish to survivors who identify as female, as survivors that identify as male, um, and also non-gender conforming individuals. Well, there's a lot in the interview. Anything else you'd like to add? Uh, yeah, I want to I thank you for uh, continuing this conversation. And again, we 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 cannot stress enough on how a community response to disclosure really sets the tone as to whether other survivors come out of the shadow to disclose what has occurred to them. In all likelihood, we all know someone that um, has been impacted by uh, sexual violence, or we might be the person that's impacted by sexual violence. And uh, having said that, we cannot stress enough that you are not alone. There are resources for you. Uh, We are able to offer confidential uh, services, uh, and we want to be able to offer those to you. Um, If you have any questions on how you can support a survivor, please do not hesitate to call us at our crisis line, uh, which is 828-255-7576, 828-255-7576. Or you can just reach out to us at the Family Justice Center. We are here for you. We believe you. Uh, You are not at fault in terms of what happened to you um, and that we will be here when you're ready. Angelica Wynn, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for having me.